0: Letters can change history and they can change our lives and I want to start today by telling you an amazing story of a true letter. In 1920, the fate of women's right to vote rested in the hands of a man who publicly opposed the movement. On August 18th, 1920, Tennessee House Representative Harry Thomas Byrne, I have a picture, he was a youngin', cast the deciding vote, deciding whether his state would ratify the 19th Amendment. Now, this was a pivotal vote because if Tennessee did pass this amendment, then that would be enough states, 36 states that would allow the women to vote nationwide. And so this was a very important vote. And originally, Burns had um, wanted to vote for the amendment, but he began to, to cave to political pressure, and he was worried that his constituents actually wanted him to vote against women having the right to vote, so he started to side with those who were against the amendment. Well, on the morning of the vote, a local newspaper urged people who were against the amendment to wear a red rose in support. And when Burns showed up to the vote, he was sporting a red rose. And so it was assumed that he was going to vote against the amendment. Well, after a long discussion, the amendment finally comes up for vote. And wouldn't you know, Burns shocked everyone by voting for the amendment. Now, what changed his mind? I just love this. In his jacket was a letter from his mother that urged him to be, and I quote, a good boy and vote for women to have the right to vote. Well, as you can imagine, many people were very upset with Byrne. And when he later explained, hey, In part, I made my decision because I know that a mother's advice is always safest for a son to follow. You know, letters, they changed history, and this letter changed history, and that legislation was passed allowing women the right to vote. Don't underestimate the power of a good letter. You know, letters, they connect us. They they provide information, and yes, they can even change history. While Burns knew that his mother's advice was the safest for him to follow, we know that instruction from Jesus is the best instruction to follow. And today, we're going to begin looking in the book of Revelation. There's seven letters that Jesus writes to the church, and we're going to unpack the instructions that Jesus has for us. Last week, Di, our founding pastor and my mom, she launched us into our, our newest series called Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, where we began to look at, you know, how and why should we read the book of Revelation? And we learned that we read the book of Revelation to encounter to experience Jesus more fully. And if you missed that message, I really wanna encourage you to check it out because it's a great foundation for where we're going. Today, I'm gonna continue by unpacking two of the letters in the book of Revelation, and we're gonna see that they reveal more of who Jesus is, and we're gonna see that he's gonna help us navigate some of life's challenges. He has advice and instructions and correction for us, But I'm going to start by inviting the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to be the teacher in our midst. God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. We want to see you more clearly. Come and be the teacher today. In your name, amen. Okay, well... I want to first start with our approach to when we are reading scripture, because our approach is really important. You know, the Bible is supposed to reveal Jesus to us from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And the, the job of the book of Revelation is actually to unveil Jesus Christ. And so today, what we need to do is we need to put on our sunglasses, no, 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 not like sunglasses that like help your eyes from the sun outside, but S-O-N glasses, sunglasses. And I actually got that from my mom years ago. She preached a message. Does anyone remember that? The sunglasses? Oh, yes. I... And, and the whole point is this. When we read scripture, we actually have to view it through the lens of Jesus, God's son, and his finished work on the cross. And so as we're reading scripture today, we want, we should expect To see Jesus more clearly and more fully. And so that's what we want to do. A little bit of context before we jump into these letters. Um, These letters were written to seven churches in Asia, which is modern day Turkey. And I have a map to kind of show you the seven different areas. And what I find so interesting is that Jesus did not write these letters to individuals. He wrote them to the churches. The church is God's chosen vessel. Jesus loves his church, and he speaks to his church. And I believe that during this series, not only are we supposed to have a clearer picture of who Jesus is, we're supposed to have a clearer picture of who we are as the church. Okay, so they're written to these seven different letters and they were seven different cities, churches, and they were written for two different reasons. And again, Di touched on this briefly last week, but there was two reasons why these letters had to be written in the first place. First, there was bad teaching. And Jesus really wanted to correct this bad teaching. He doesn't want us to, to be under bad teaching. And then secondly, the church had come under attack. And they were being attacked three different ways. They were being religiously persecuted by um, Jewish groups that were furious that they were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. They were being persecuted or attacked by the culture. There was a strong pagan culture in that day, and there was a lucrative idol trade, and they were furious that they were losing money because people were starting to follow Jesus. And then finally, there was political persecution. You see, the Roman government, they saw Christianity as a threat to the empire. These churches, these people, they needed to be encouraged And Jesus is going to be here to bring encouragement, to bring hope and challenge. So while these letters are specifically addressed to different churches, they were actually meant to be shared. In fact, the churches shared them amongst one another. And it's not just for these churches back in that time in the first century. Actually, each of these letters ends with this. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So right now, double check. Do you have ears? Oh, good. Okay, good. So guess what? These messages, these truths are for us because we have ears. Now we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to help us receive the messages that Jesus has for us. These letters, they are for anybody who wants to know the love of Jesus more fully to be instructed, to be corrected, and to be encouraged. Now, interestingly, these letters, they do mostly follow a pattern. And I I love how Jesus does this because he wants us to understand what he's doing. They start out first with a picture, which is fitting because these letters are supposed to reveal more of who Jesus is to us. They start out with a picture of who Jesus is. And then they go to a problem. Each of the churches is facing something different. Ephesus, which is the first letter we're going to look at, they were facing an internal problem. They had lost their passion. Smyrna, which was the second church we're going to look at, they were facing an external problem. They were being persecuted for their faith. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, this is who I am and you got a problem. He says, let me help you overcome that problem through partnership. And so in each letter, Jesus breaks this down. He shows a picture of himself, he points out a problem, and then he follows it up with partnership. And we're going to see this over and over again. Picture, problem, partnership. You know, this same pattern, it can apply to each of our lives and our problems, Each of us is facing something different. We're facing a challenge, a problem in our own life, just like Jesus is addressing these different problems in in the different churches. And I believe that there is truth for us to mine out of Scripture over the next few weeks as we actually break apart these seven letters. We need a fuller picture of Jesus so that as we encounter problems we can actually walk through them loving Jesus more. Each of us has problems in our lives. Each of us has challenges. But we need a clearer picture of who Jesus is. We need to see the Jesus who is above our circumstances, the Jesus who is above our mistakes, the Jesus who is above our misfortune, whatever you want to call it. Each of us is facing a difficult situation, a different, a different problem, and we need to understand more fully who Jesus is because this is what I believe. For every problem we have, Jesus has a promise. And so we are gonna go on this journey, the unveiling of Jesus through the letters where he shows us who he is. I, I know that I need to see Jesus more fully. I need to understand what he died and rose for for me to live in. And I think that you do too. So right now, I want you to make it personal. You might have to close your eyes, give yourself a moment. I want you to think. What is a problem that you're facing right now that you need a fuller picture of Jesus? You need to know who he is. You need to know who he's made us to be. You need to know how he's working on your behalf. This is where I believe God wants to meet us the next few weeks. You know, we're in the book of Revelation to have an encounter with Jesus so that we can have his character, his love, his power unveiled to us. Are we ready to see Jesus, my dad loves this, as bigger and better and more beautiful than ever before? I am, and so that's why I'm excited. Let's go to Revelation chapter two, verse one, and we're gonna start here in uh, with the letter to Ephesus okay so Ephesus is the local capital and it is a bustling robust city it's probably the best you know greatest city in in the area during this time it had a population of a quarter of a million people now by today's standards you know 250,000 people that's not huge but in the ancient world think of it like New York City Okay, this church, it had an impressive history. The Apostle Paul, like the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he planted the church. And then it was pastored by the Apostle John. This church was the church to be in. They were known for what they did. They worked hard and they looked good. Let's see what Jesus says to them. Picking up in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... Okay, so each letter, I'm just going to pause here briefly so you understand what's happening. Each letter starts the same way, to the angel of the church, and then fill in the blank of the city that the church was in. Now, some theologians and scholars believe that this angel was actually just the church leader, like the pastor. And others believe it was actually an angel assigned to each church. But this is a message to each church. Okay, this is what it says. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampsand, says this, I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people and you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test and they are not and you have found them to be false and you have, you, and you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and you have not become weary. Okay, we can read something like this and be like, I'm kind of confused. Let me help us unpack it. Okay, remember, we start with a picture of Jesus. And right here at the beginning, Jesus is is painting a picture of who he is, right? He says that I am holding the seven stars in my right hand. Now we have to understand what this means. The seven stars are the seven leaders or angels of the churches. And he's holding them in his right hand. Now his right hand actually symbolizes his power and authority. You know, Ephesus, this great city that has tons of power, Jesus is saying, I have power and I have authority. But it's coupled with this beautiful picture of not lording it over people, but he's holding us in love. He's holding us in his right hand. So the leaders, and I for one am grateful because this is what Jesus is saying to me. He's holding me in his, in his right hand. He has the power and authority. And then it says he's walking among the seven golden lampstands. And the lampstands represent the church. And again, we see here that Jesus is saying, the church, she's mine. She's golden. She's of much value. She brings me great joy. And I, I walk among her. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, look, I am with you and I am for you. I am walking among you. You are precious to me. Even if it doesn't maybe feel like that, that is the truth. And then Jesus goes on and he describes what he sees in this church. He says, wow, you guys are really hardworking. I mean, you've had perseverance and you've endured and you've held onto your faith. Great job, man. See, Ephesus, they had had some of that bad teaching which was why the letters had to be written. They had these apostles, these so-called apostles, come and say, try to teach things. And the church in Ephesus, they, had not, they were like, no, we are not doing that, out. They had stood firm and defended the faith. And Jesus commends them for that. He says, you've done a good job. You've not grown weary, but there is a problem. So I'm gonna to go to verse four. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have left Your first love. Hmm. Well, well, what does this mean? Because from the outside, the church in Ephesus looks like they're doing everything right. They're full of perseverance. They're working hard. They're not tolerating bad teachers. But when we pull back the cover, what we actually see is that they have lost their passion. Let me explain. The the Greek word here for first is protos. And this means like supreme, number one, the best, the best. And the Greek word here for love is agape. And agape is the unique, unconditional love that God has for us. And so what, Paul, what Jesus is saying here to the Ephesians is he's saying, listen, Ephesus, you've lost your number one, your, your supreme, your agape love. And what that actually means is that you are no longer abiding in my love. You're no longer remaining in my love. See, I think we can often read this passage and think, oh, man, I got to love God more. I got to love, that's what he wants me to do. I got to love him more. But let me ask you a question. Who loved who first? From where does love flow? You see, the Bible tells us that God so loved us that he sent his son that through his love, we would then be able to love. And as I was studying this passage, I was so struck. I, I read a book by Paul Ellis, and he's on, we have some awesome resources listed on our webpage that you can check out. He, he wrote a book and, and he said, you know, here's the thing, like we've misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say. He says, your first love is not your love for God. It's God's love for you. I'm going to say that again. Your, your first love is not your love for God. It's God's love for you. So this this instruction, it, it can't be about you loving God more because that would be about you working harder. No, this is actually about us receiving the love of God and allowing that to fuel our actions, our beliefs, and our very being. You see, the Ephesians, they've fallen into this trap. They were striving instead of resting. They were trying instead of trusting. And I have found myself in this place so many times. Thankfully, though, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, this is a problem. You better fix it. He's going to show them how to fix it, and it's through partnership. So I'm going to pick up here in verse 5. It says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, again, we need to almost like imagine ourselves entering an art museum. When you go in and the picture says so much more than just like at first glance, that's what Jesus is doing here. We we, we need to put on our sunglasses because you know, it's like eat from the tree, paradise of God. Okay, stop. Jesus actually gives us some really clear instructions on this partnership, okay? He starts with, I want you to remember, okay? He wants us to remember the first time that we encountered the the life-changing love of the Father, where we were blown away and we felt his love in its fullness. You know, this is how love works. You know, think about if you are married and you've fallen in love before, or if you're not married, but you've fallen in love before, this is how love between humans works. And I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but when Mike and I fell in love, it was in the early 2000s and I was in college and we spent hours, hours talking on the phone. And of course it was a landline and you had to pull your phone all the way out to the edge of your dorm. And then you sat in the hallway to like not bug your, your, your roommate. And then we'd spend hours writing emails back and forth to each other, which Mike lovingly signed, your country prince. He wanted me to tell you that. It's true, you can bring it back. And then we spent hours, (laughs) we spent hours instant messaging each other, which for those of you who don't know, because you're too young, that was like pre-texting, because no one had a cell phone. This is how we can, there weren't enough hours in the day. We just wanted to know one another. We wanted to spend time with one another. We wanted to to share every thought with one another. And this is how Jesus feels about you. This is the passion he feels towards you. He's saying, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to, to whisper in your ear how proud I am of you. But you've left me. Remember, Remember what it was like. That's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is we repent. And the Greek word here is metanoia, which means actually more than change your mind. Sometimes we say like repenting means change your mind, but this Greek word, you know what it means? It means take on a new mind. And see, this is what Jesus actually provided for us, that we could take on his mind, that we could think like he thinks. And instead of work, 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 it is I first receive, 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 receive. Because without receiving the love, what we have to give away is nothing. We, there is work for us to do. Because he goes on, Jesus says, you got to do the work that you did at the beginning. There is work for us to do, but we need to, we need to first receive the love that he has for us. When, When we've left our first love, what we've actually done is we've stopped abiding in our love for God. We've stopped remaining in our relationship with him. There is work for us to do and his love is the fuel that we need to do that work. So today, if you, if you find yourself exhausted, if you find yourself, you know, if this year's taught us anything, it's hard to love people. It's okay. You can laugh. It is hard. This is where many of us are at. Where it's like, Lord, I, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm trying. I'm striving. And God says, stop. First, receive the love that I make available and then do the work that I have called you to do. And what does this partnership result in? It results in us being able to eat from the tree of life, which is where, the para- where God's paradise is. But what does that even mean? Well, Jesus is the tree of life. And when we say yes to Jesus, he comes and lives inside us. So guess what? God's paradise is wherever we go because God now lives inside of us. And what we get to do is we get to feed on Jesus. He feeds us his fruit. He nourishes our soul. And through this union with him, we have life and life abundantly. You know, I want to be a great preacher I want to be a great pastor. I, I can read the passage. I can, I can read commentaries. I can labor over my words and my illustrations. I can try to get you to laugh at the right moments. I can do all these right, right things. But if I prepare a message and deliver a message apart from my love for God and his love for me, I have missed it. I, I want to be a great mother. I, I want to, to love my kids and, and to have them love me. I want to be patient and understanding. I want to be firm but fun. And, and I can do all the right things. I can you know, I can give boundaries and I can make family fun nights and I can make the right meals and I can engage my preteen and, and hard conversations as he navigates this world that he lives in. I can do all the right things and not abide in God's love and miss it. And in the process, misloving them. You see, this is what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. Hey, listen, you're doing all the right things. You're working, working, working. You're not growing weary, but you're missing it. Some of you, you've lost your first love. You, you, you you're doing the right things, maybe in your job, maybe in your relationship with Jesus, you you fill in the blank. You're doing all the right things and yet you feel empty. You feel insecure. And the message that Jesus has for us from Ephesus is this, I love you. And my love is the fuel for your life. And so wherever you're feeling like, I just keep working and working and nothing changes. Jesus's message to us is, let me help you return to me, repent, remember, and do what you did at first. This is what Jesus is doing. He's revealing more of himself to you and to me and to all of us. And I could keep going on Ephesus, but I need to get to our second letter. You see, Jesus, he wants to continue to reveal, reveal himself. And in his second letter, this is to the church in Smyrna, Jesus is going to do just that. You know, Ephesus is this amazing city, but Smyrna is not that bad. 35 miles north, this city is known for its harbor. It has a bustling wine trade. But this church is facing a much different situation. They are being heavily persecuted. And some of them are not only going to be jailed, but they're going to be killed for their faith. Like in Ephesus, Jesus is going to show himself more fully um, and reveal himself as the promise to every problem that we face. Okay, so I'm going to pick up here in verse two, chapter 2, verse 8. This is what it says. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Okay, remember our pattern. It starts with a picture. And Jesus starts with a picture of who he is and what he's been through. He reminds them, I am the first and I am the last. I was dead and now I've come to life. And again, he's sending us a message. I think we read this and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. Like that's about Jesus, like when he died and rose again. But no, he's painting a picture for us. You see, the church in Smyrna, they're being heavily persecuted. And some of them were being killed for their faith. Jesus, in this moment, he wants, us to, he wants us to know. He wants them to know, I see your pain. I see your suffering. I have tasted it myself, and I am here today to tell you that I am the victor- victorious, risen one. I have faced death, and I have conquered it. Secondly, he's speaking contextually to this city because Smyrna had actually had to be rebuilt. It had to be brought back to life. 300 years after it had been originally mapped out and planned, it was destroyed and had to be rebuilt. And so he's speaking contextually to people. He's saying, listen, what I want you to know is this. I know you. I know where you're coming from. I know where you're going. You can listen to me and you can trust me. And again, super frightening time because Smyrna is facing all this persecution. I think some of us, we need to hear this today. We're in a season of suffering and the message that Jesus has for you today is I know you. I know where you've been and I know where you're going. And today I want to reveal myself as the suffering servant who has tasted suffering and defeated suffering. This is what Jesus wants to say to us. So I'm gonna read to you now the letter and unpack it. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So here's the problem. Smyrna has this deep problem. They're being persecuted. They're being persecuted by religious zealots who had embraced a satanic agenda of violence and murder. You know know who's behind the suffering in our lives? Jesus exposes him here in this passage. It's Satan. Satan is the one who is behind the suffering, the suffering in Smyrna, but also the suffering in our lives. So many of us have faced pain this year, and Jesus is saying here, listen, Satan is actually the one who is behind this testing, and you know what he wants to do? He wants you to renounce your faith in Jesus. And if this is not so fresh and hot for 2021, I don't know This is what's happening. The, the enemy is wanting, he, he is wanting you to renounce your faith in who Jesus is. But, but no, we're saying, Jesus, show us who you really are. Reveal who you really are. And Jesus says, I am your suffering servant. I am the first and I am the last. S- Jesus' message is this. Listen, Smyrna, you have suffered greatly. It's gonna get worse, but let me show you how you can partner with me in your suffering. He says, first... Don't be afraid, and I, I know this is so much easier said than done, isn't it? Don't be afraid. But this is why it's important that those letters were passed from church to church, because actually the letter to Ephesus it, it, it lays a, a great, it makes a great point about God's love has to be the thing that keeps us afloat in all of life, whether we're working or whether we're facing suffering. Perfect love casts out fear, and Jesus is saying here, fear not. I am going to walk you through every trial that you face. I am going to see you through it. Why can you trust me in this process? Because I have conquered death. And specifically to, this, to the people in Smyrna, this is what they were facing. Some of them were going to be killed. Jesus is the suffering servant, and he wants us to know that he knows what it feels like, what, whatever we're facing, and, and we're encouraged to, to fight fear by embracing his love and resting in his love. This is what these seven letters actually do. You see, Jesus, he faced everything that we faced. Every problem that we faced, he he faced for us. And we want to see him more clearly. So we fight fear by embracing this truth that we are children of God, beloved by him. He has made a way for us to walk through. When we encounter God's love, it changes us and it emboldens us and it empowers us. Okay, the second thing that Jesus says, is we partner this way, we, we partner by being faithful until the end. You know, Smyrna, they have a long history with faithfulness. And, and Jesus is just encouraging them. He's like, listen, some of you are going to die. But my encouragement to you is be faithful to the end. When we choose to be faithful, what we actually choose is we choose to rest in Jesus's resources. We choose to rest in the the faithful one himself through our union with him. Believing that Jesus has held the keys to death and Hades in his hand. And that we no longer have to fear death. And then Jesus goes on to say, hey listen, through this partnership there's an amazing reward. The crown of life which is resurrection life. And what I love here, this is what Jesus is actually saying here. Do you know what he's saying? I know where you live. Actually, he does. Like, he knows where you live. He knows your address. Let me explain. You see, in Smyrna, the crown of Smyrna was a well-known phrase. It was, it, it was actually based on the architecture of the city. The city was built with these circles. And the crown of Smyrna was well-known. It was worshipped. They wore crowns during their idol worship to praise the crown of Smyrna. And Jesus says, I have the crown of life way better than the crown of Smyrna. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the beginning and the end. I am the suffering servant. What I have gone through, I now give to you. I impart to you first freedom from fear and secondness, f- second, secondly, freedom for faithfulness and grace for faithfulness. You know, for so many of us, this has just been a painful season. Some of us have lost our jobs. We've lost our friends. We've lost our health. We've lost our community. Never in my wildest imagination did I think the first 18 months that I was going to be your senior pastor, we were going to go through so much trouble. I've wept as people have left our church and said terrible things about me and the team. And I've wept as people have, have, have actually renounced their faith in Jesus you know, I, I've gone to bed stressed and overwhelmed as a parent who, who's a teacher and, and, a, and a parent right now and a playmate to my kids in a world. You know, where have you suffered this year? Where are you suffering this year? I, I don't need to like paint this grandiose picture, you know, because you've walked through this year. Jesus sees our suffering and he cares deeply. What does Jesus want us to know? He he wants us to know that he really is the suffering servant. He's tasted suffering and he's defeated it. And today we can actually embrace suffering by saying no to fear and yes to faithfulness, empowered by his spirit, and that we know that we have the crown of life, that whatever we go through, death does not have the final word. We can be faithful, empowered by the faithful one himself. Put your trust in Jesus, and I promise you, he's never going to let you down. So this is the journey we're on. We need a fuller picture of who Jesus is. I need a fuller picture of who Jesus is so that every problem we face, we can have confidence that Jesus has a promise for us to walk through it. So right now, my question is this, where do you need Jesus to show himself as bigger and better and more beautiful in your life? Jesus wants to meet us here today. Maybe it's in this place of you've lost your, you've left your first love. You've lost your first love. And Jesus is saying, come back to me. Come back to me so that I can fuel you for the job that is ahead. Some of you, you're in a place of suffering and you're, you're in pain, and Jesus wants to meet you here today to, to help care for you and, and help see you through whatever you're facing. Jesus is who he says he is, and I'm just gonna pray, and then we're gonna worship. And so Jesus, thank you for how you are revealing yourself to us. And God, we, we wanna have ears to hear. So right now, We bless the ears of your saints as we head into worship, God. May you speak your truth about who you are in every person's unique situation. God, we we anticipate for the healing and the hope that you want to bring during this worship time. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.